Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to call you Father and to know you as sons and daughters and to know that you are a God who is not silent, who speaks to us. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning, but we pray that you would indeed give us ears to listen. May we not be distracted, but instead may we be able to concentrate once more upon Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he expects of us to do if we claim to trust in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews and we've been spending some time now in Hebrews chapter 13. We've come to the last chapter of Hebrews 13, which is basically a selection of exhortations that are made to the original readers of the letter. They've been told again and again throughout the book that Jesus Christ is the one that you should trust in. He is superior to any other person who's ever claimed to represent God in the past, that Jesus Christ is the high priest. He is the one, the great high priest, that we should listen to. And so again and again, the people have been exhorted to trust in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 13, they're given a few practical remarks at the end of the letter as to what it should look like if they trust in Jesus Christ, what they should be doing if they are people who trust in Jesus Christ. And so we saw in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 13 that they were encouraged to love each other as brothers. I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible, open it up to page 1194 as we look at this chapter together. And we see there in chapter 13, verse 1, that they are to love one another And we've seen what that looks like in the way that we're meant to love strangers in verse 2, prisoners in verse 3. And then we looked at what marriage should look like for a Christian in verse 4. We had a sermon on that. And then last time we looked at the subject of money. Verse 5 taught us about keeping our lives free from the love of money and being content with what we have because God will never leave us or forsake us. And now the author encourages us to consider our leaders. And that is verse 7. That is where we're up to today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Little number 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, where we read, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The author wants the people to continue to remember their leaders, particularly the ones who spoke the word of God to them. Now, it's clear here that it's not the leaders who are currently the pastors of their church. It is people who in the past spoke to them the word of God because exhortations will be made, and I'll be looking at those, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, in verse 17 about what you're to do to current leaders. Verse 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority and goes on to give further instruction. But here in verse 7, it's to remember your leaders in the past. So they could be evangelists who came and spoke to you the gospel. It could be uh, missionaries who came through. It could be previous pastors who you loved dearly, who were instrumental in you becoming a Christian and your growth, your initial growth in the faith. And you are then to consider them, remember them and imitate them and particularly imitate their faith. But then the author moves on in verse 8 to speak of another leader in particular. Who is that? Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Now, verse 8 seems to jump out from the middle of nowhere, and you're not quite sure why is that verse included there when he's suddenly talking about leaders. But I think it's because he wants the people to remember that those leaders who you had in the past were sustained by Jesus Christ, and he is the same yesterday and today and forever. He will sustain you today. And really, when you consider Jesus Christ, he is the greatest of all leaders. When you consider those people who used to be your leaders, the people who spoke to you, the word of God in the past, sometimes when you consider them, you actually see their faults and you remember that they didn't stay strong in the faith, that some of them even fell away. Some people who have evangelized you, who have been an encouragement to you to be strong as a Christian in the past, are no longer following Christ. Christian leaders are quite fickle and changeable, and they will sometimes adopt new heresies that come along, or even adopt old heresies, very old heresies that have been from even the beginning. And that is why in verse 9, the author encourages us to continue to remember Jesus and rather than be carried away by other kinds of strange teachings. Verse 9 says of Hebrews chapter 13, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. We have to be very careful about adopting strange teachings that come along. And what is the solution to that? Well, it's to continue to remember Jesus Christ. He is the one who never changes. He never adopts new teachings. He never changes what he teaches us. He is always the same. And he never dies. Whereas we understand that human leaders, sometimes they're a great encouragement to us, they're a great blessing to us, but humans do pass away. And people who have been a blessing to you in the past, particularly if you're a lot older, may no longer be with you anymore. You always admired them. They spoke the gospel to you. It may even be your parents people who were your leaders in the home and they trained you from a young age to love Jesus Christ and they're no longer with you anymore. But Jesus Christ is with you. And he is the same Jesus Christ today as he was yesterday and the day before that and the day before that right back through the ages. And he will be the same Jesus Christ on into the future. And so that means that Jesus the one that you trust today, is the same knowledgeable, wise, discerning Jesus of the Scriptures. He still stumps the foolish in their objections when they come along and they object as to different matters to do with him, to do with themselves. He has the answers for them in the pages of the Scriptures. He still speaks to them. He's still that same Jesus who taught the crowds and his disciples long ago. And he will teach you today if you have ears to listen to him. And the Jesus you trust is the same loving, compassionate, merciful and gracious Jesus of the Bible. The same Jesus today is the same Jesus of yesterday who loves the Father and loves the Holy Spirit and is loved by them. It's the same Jesus today who loved children and adults in the Bible, who loved the sick and the suffering the hungry and the thirsty, the grieving and the sorrowing, who loves the tempted and the doubting. And Jesus still loves repentant sinners today. 
marvellous news for us in this room that Jesus has not changed his mind on whether he welcomes sinners. No, he continues to welcome those who come to him in repentance and faith and love them and show compassion to them and is merciful and gracious to them as he was so many years ago when you read of his actions in the New Testament. And the Jesus you trust, if he is the same yesterday, today and forever, is still the same powerful Jesus of the Scriptures. He is still God. It is not like he has been demoted at some point and is now a lesser being. No, he is still God and he's still reigning on high with all dominion and will always do so. And if Jesus is still the same powerful God of the Scriptures, then today he is still the same Jesus who has power to regenerate, to change your heart from being a heart of stone towards him to having a heart of flesh, a soft heart. He does that work. He still has that power today. He still has the power to justify, to declare you as right before God rather than unrighteous before God. He still has the power to sanctify, to make you more and more holy, to help you overcome your sin and to live more for God's glory. He still has the same power. If he's the same yesterday, today and forever, when we look at the New Testament, we see that he has resurrecting power. And that means that today he still has resurrecting power, that he can still raise the dead. And if he's the same Jesus yesterday, today and forever, that means in the future he will still have the power to resurrect the dead, which is wonderful news for us when we all consider that we are facing death one day in our lives. Today is actually my birthday. I turned 38 today. My sister was saying, oh, not long till the big 4-0, Joel, which means when I hit 40, yes, it'll feel a bit more like death is a little closer to me. That I'll be starting to hit a milestone where, oh, I'm starting to move on through life. My death is approaching. But I know that Jesus is still the same that he was yesterday and he is that same Jesus today. And so he still has resurrecting power. And so when I am dead and gone, one day he will raise me from the dead. And that same Jesus who could glorify people in the past could glorify me in the future as well. And he can glorify you one day. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And this is a great encouragement to us this morning if we trust in Jesus. But if we're a follower of Jesus... There's something else that the author wants us to remember that comes to our account in this world if we follow him. What does he then go on to say in verse 11 of chapter 13? The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. Speaking there about the sacrifices that the Jews would make, they would make these sin offerings, they would sacrifice an animal to God, to pay for their sin, and then they take the bodies of those animals and put them outside the camp. And then it says in verse 12, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified not in, within the walls of Jerusalem. He was taken outside the walls of Jerusalem and crucified out there. And then what does verse 13 say that Christians need to remember? Verse 13 says, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. 
we as Christians find it's easy to forget how the world treated Christ and think we deserve a better run than he did. We often think about Jesus' death and the benefits that follow from it. It is wonderful to think of the forgiveness of sins that we experience through Jesus' death. And we love those results, that one day instead of going to hell, I'll be going to heaven because of the work of Jesus at the cross, because of his death for me. But we forget that we're also meant to learn from the cross, that there is an example for us to follow, that he is an example for us to follow of experiencing disgrace in this world as he bore disgrace when he lived in this world. Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, about what it will be like to be a Christian. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, he says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. If they called Jesus Satan, how will they not treat you worse than that? If they would crucify him, how will they not crucify us in this world if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ? Jesus was taken outside the camp like trash to be discarded. When you think of the rubbish in your home, you firstly, well, in our home we do this, firstly you find a piece of rubbish, you put it outside the community in one sense that it's under, in the kitchen bin, away from everything else. And after a while, the bin particularly starts to smell. Then you put it outside in the auto, and so then it's really outside the community. But then there's another level where we put it outside to the curb, and then it's really out of our community and the trash, uh, the bin man comes around and takes our trash away. And then I'm sure he doesn't dump it in the park in the city. No, he takes it outside the community, away from everybody who doesn't want to smell the rubbish any longer. And that is how they treated Jesus Christ. And that is how they'll treat us at times. They treat us like trash to be removed from the community, as though we smell and need to be taken away so they don't have to look at us, they don't have to hear from us. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we read this passage of Scripture that Christians are disgraced by the world, that we're treated like trash. The sneering, the violence and the exile that has been put upon Christians has been happening from the beginning it's not a new phenomenon to look down upon Christians. It's an old phenomenon that has been going on through the centuries. But can a Christian willingly be disgraced like Jesus was? It says there in verse 13, Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Let us choose to go to him, to go to Jesus outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. The answer is yes, we can be willing to bear the disgrace that Jesus bore. And sometimes that willingness can be rather bold. 
As you read church history, as you read about the accounts of brothers and sisters in Christ before us and how they were disgraced for Jesus' name, how they joined in with Jesus bearing the disgrace he bore, was often rather bold, which is why it's very encouraging to read church history. I love reading church history and reading about how God worked in some of my brothers and sisters so that they were bold in being disgraced for Christ's sake. And one account in particular I thought of this week, I was trying to think of an account from church history of someone boldly being disgraced for the name, is one of my favourites as a children, which was first recounted by Basil of Caesarea, uh, one of the church fathers, and then there's been many other fathers recounted it as well, and it's been recorded in different ways by different church historians. And so I'll give you an account of this incident that took place with 40 Christian soldiers in the Roman legions. 40 Christian soldiers. Alban Butler gives an account in one of his books on Christian martyrs. And he speaks about these soldiers who were willing to be disgraced for the sake of Jesus Christ. So he begins his account with, These holy martyrs suffered at Sebast in the Lesser Armenia under the Emperor Licinius in 320. So this situation took place in the year 320. Uh, you've got the Roman Emperor Licinius on the throne and they are in Armenia. They're in Armenia and we read what happens to them. There were 40 soldiers and they were different countries but enrolled in the same troop. All in the flower of their age, comely, brave and robust and were considerable for their services. Agricola, the governor of the province, having signified to the army the orders of the emperor Licinius for all to sacrifice, these forty went boldly up to him and said they were Christians and that no torments should make them ever abandon their holy religion. So they're in a province. The governor of that province has a command from Licinius that everybody throughout the empire has to make a sacrifice to the emperor, to pagan gods. And this is one way of weeding out the Christians, because Christians just refuse to add the emperor to their religion. Many other religions are quite happy for you to bring in another god. We've got lots of gods. Yep, another one, not a problem. But the Christians stand firm, and these 40 soldiers have stood firm, and they've gone and they've confessed that they will in no way sacrifice to a foreign god. They will ever abandon their religion, no matter what torments may be brought upon them. And it continues, the judge first endeavoured to gain them by representing to them the dishonour that would attend their refusal to do what was required and by making them large promises of high favour with the emperor in case of compliance. So he warns them, do you realise the dishonour that will be brought upon you? But if you make the sacrifice, then great honour will be given you by the emperor. Finding these methods of gentleness ineffectual, he had recourse to threats, and these the most terrifying if they continued disobedient to the emperor's order. But all in vain. To his promises they answered that he could give them nothing equal to what he would deprive them of. And to his threats that his power only extended over their bodies, which they had learned to despise when their souls were at stake. Boldly said... You only have power over our bodies, which we despise when our souls are at stake. The governor, finding them all resolute, caused them to be torn with whips and their sides to be rent with iron hooks, after which they were loaded with chains and committed to jail. After some days, Lysias, their general, came from Caesarea to Sebast. He comes over to Armenia, and the soldiers were re-examined. 
The governor, highly offended at their courage and that liberty of speech with which they accosted him, devised an extraordinary kind of death, which, being slow and severe, he hoped would shake their constancy. Now the cold in Armenia is very sharp, especially in March, towards the end of winter, when the wind is north, and it being also at that time a severe frost. Under the walls of the town stood a pond, which was frozen so hard that it would bear walking upon with safety. The judge ordered the saints, these 40 soldiers, to be exposed quite naked on the ice, and in order to tempt them the more powerfully to renounce their faith, a warm bath was prepared at a small distance from the frozen pond for any of this company to go who were disposed to purchase their temporal ease and safety on that condition. So he says, all these soldiers, you have to go naked on this pond in the middle of winter, We'll have a warm bath here. If you renounce Jesus Christ, you can come, warm yourself up in the bath, and everything will be okay. The martyrs, on hearing their sentence, ran joyfully to the place, and without waiting to be stripped, undressed themselves, encouraging one another in the same manner as is usual among soldiers in military expeditions, attended with hardships and dangers, saying that one bad night would purchase them a happy Eternity. They also made their joint prayer. Lord, we are 40 who are engaged in this combat. Grant that we may be 40 crowned and that not one be wanting to this sacred number. So these soldiers, they run out to the pond willingly, but they pray this prayer. Let none of us, they encourage each other, let none of us recant. May all 40 of us stand firm. The guards, these are the guards of the the soldiers uh, as they're being stripped, the guards ceased not to persuade them to sacrifice, that by so doing they might be allowed to pass to the warm bath. So they're always exhorting them, come on, come on, come have a warm bath. But though it is not easy to form a just idea of the bitter pain they must have undergone, of the whole number only one had the misfortune to be overcome who, losing courage, went off from the pond to seek the relief in readiness for such as were disposed to renounce their faith. So 39 stand firm, one decides, I can't bear this, and goes away to the bath to be warmed up and to forsake Christ. This misfortune afflicted the martyrs, but they were quickly comforted by seeing his place and their number miraculously filled up. A sentinel, so one of the watchmen, was warming himself near the bath, having been posted there to observe if any of the martyrs were inclined to submit. While he was attending, he had a vision of blessed spirits descending from heaven on the martyrs and distributing, as from their king, rich presents and precious garments. The guard, being struck with the celestial vision and the apostate's desertion, was converted upon it. And by a particular motion of the Holy Ghost threw off his clothes and placed himself in his stead amongst the 39 martyrs. Thus God heard their request, though in another manner than they imagined. They, they said, may 40 die and 40 be crowned. One left, but a guard, stripped off and joined them of his own volition. He went to be disgraced outside the camp because he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the answer to the question. Why would soldiers like this willingly go outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore? Well, they were looking for a city that is to come, 
with the same Jesus of the scriptures that is alive today and will forever dwell in his land in heaven. And that is what is told to us in verse 14. In verse 13, it says, Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. And then verse 14 gives a reason why we should go outside the camp. Verse 14 says, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. If you are looking for the city that is to come, and you know that that same Jesus is there, then you will willingly bear the disgrace that he bore. And that is a theme that's come up again and again in in the scriptures of enduring hardship with a view to what is to come. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, when it talks about the readers and what they're they're experiencing, the suffering they're experiencing, it says, you sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And in Hebrews 11, verse 24, when it was speaking about Moses, Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. If you look ahead to your reward, then you can willingly go outside the camp and be disgraced with Jesus. The world may sneer, jeer and laugh at us. They may jail us. They may exile us from this country. They may even put us to death. But we'll go to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. Why? Because we look forward to the city that is to come and the same Jesus welcoming us. We believe that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so when we die, he will welcome us as he's welcomed many saints before us. He never changes in welcoming those that are his, those that trust in him. And so we know it's better to be disgraced with Jesus than to be honoured in this world without him. You just consider a mother and child and they have nowhere to live. They're on the street. And the child is offered a place to stay but without mum. Would the child take the place? Would they stay in the house and leave mum? Or would they prefer to stay on the street with mum and live in hard conditions because they know that mum loves them and will always love them. And so it's far better to live on the street with mum than to live in a house on your own. I think we'd understand if many children chose to live with mum on the street in disgrace than to live in a house without mum. It's a no-brainer for most children. They would go straight away to mum. And so for us, it's a no-brainer. If we love Christ, if we know he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is the loving, compassionate, merciful, all-powerful Jesus Christ that we see in the pages of the New Testament, it's a no-brainer for us to go in disgrace and be with him because we love him and we know he loves us. That then means if you shrink back in the face of disgrace from family, from friends, from even strangers. If you shrink back, you fear 
the despise they may bring upon you for being a Christian. Do you truly know and love Jesus Christ? Doesn't your action show that you don't really love Jesus? Did you shrink back even this week from being disgraced with Christ? Did you resist being treated as trash and disown him? Maybe that's because you need to realise for the first time that Jesus is still the same yesterday, today and forever and that means he's still wrathful against sinners who do not trust in him. And if you shrink back, then obviously you do not know him and you need to understand that he is still wrathful against sin. Yes, he's loving and compassionate and forgiving but he is wrathful against sin and so you need to understand that and then come to him in repentance and faith, saying sorry for your sins and trusting that Jesus Christ died for you. And if you do that, then yes, he is still the same as he was in the New Testament. He is still forgiving and compassionate and gracious to those who trust in him. And once you really trust in Jesus, once you truly know him and understand that he is the same yesterday and today and forever, you'll be surprised at how easy it is to endure disgrace with him. And if you are a Christian and you're here this morning, I encourage you, when you spend some time talking at morning tea, after the service ends, talk about what you love about Jesus Christ. What you love about him that is the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. And how that helps you endure disgrace with him. You may have had an experience this week where someone sneered at you, where someone hurt you for being a Christian. How did you get through that? What was it about Christ that helped you endure that experience and encourage another saint or even an unbeliever who may be amongst us this morning to continue trusting that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever? Let us speak with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you have revealed from your scriptures that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, that he will never cease to be God, that he will never cease to welcome those who come to him in repentance and faith, and he will always take us to that heavenly home. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in him and help us to go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. We know we are very privileged in this country, that we often are not disgraced as our brothers and sisters are overseas, and we pray that you would give them strength even now, that they would know that we are looking for a city that is to come. But, Lord, we pray that when we experience small amounts of suffering here, small wounds that we often experience in a Western country, that we would not shrink back, but we would know that we are being disgraced but we're being disgraced for the sake of Christ. And that when we are disgraced in that way, we are with him. And we'd always prefer to be disgraced with him than to be honoured in the eyes of this world without him. We pray this in his name. Amen.